Wait, wait, who said that? The metaverse is rendered at the periphery. Did we say that? That's my line. Yeah. That's a great that's, line. That's a David Hoffman original, brother. Wow. Yeah, you like that's that one? That's great. Yeah. No, I, I love that one. Uh-huh. That's, uh, man, yeah, we should start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Bankless Nation, happy fourth week of March. David, it's Friday morning. What time is it? Oh, it's the Bankless Friday weekly roll-up, Ryan, where we cover the entire week in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor. This week's pretty tame. It's pretty pretty okay. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun, though. There's a lot of interesting things going on. Uh, Ryan, there, there's that. some hot headlines. So tell us what's going down this week. Yeah, usually you're more intimidated by the length of this agenda, but th- this week maybe feels manageable, David. Is that yeah. what you're telling us? Yeah, this is a, a 5 out of 10 on the crazy scale, which is modest for crypto. <laughs> Five out of ten. All right. Okay. So here's what we're going to talk about. Yuga Labs, the apes bought the punks for uh, 400. Well, actually, that happened last week. Okay. But this week, they just got $450 million in funding. Okay. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do with this? They're going to build a real metaverse, mm. a real metaverse. And um, A16Z is in on this, of course. Uh, and we have the deck. We have the slide deck. We, we know deck, exactly yeah. what they are planning to do. So we're going to comment on that. Also, Vitalik Buterin made the cover of Time magazine. This led to a lot of uh, <laughs> hilarious Twitter threads, I think. Hilarious Some mean Twitter, Twitter threads. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're going to talk about that. Um, also, GameStop released their first NFT marketplace. That's out. It's built on Loopring, and the Loopring community is absolutely stoked about mm-hmm. this. <laughs> Couldn't be more excited. Uh, number going up a little bit, so we'll talk about that too. And, of course, more of our weekly cringe out of Elizabeth Warren. She's proposing new things in Congress, anti-crypto things, shadowy supercoder things. So, of course, you know, we got to comment on that because this sort of stuff can't happen in a free Western liberal democracy where uh, property rights um, sh- should count for something. So uh, we're going to talk about that too. The consistency of cringe out of Elizabeth Warren is just <laughs> it's every single week at this point. But also, Elizabeth, come on the podcast because we're, we're, we're friendly and we don't bite. It's true. Uh, David, before we get in, we got to talk about the permissionless conference that is coming up. Mm-hmm. We are on the road to permissionless right now. This is going to be the DeFi conference of the year, not just DeFi, also the metaverse. Also, we're going to talk about like institutional stuff as well. A lot of people are going to be there. Who are some of the speakers you're most looking forward to seeing? Oh my God. Some, some of my best friends out there, Justin Drake. We're going to be talking about ETH as ultrasound money, of course, on the verge of the merge, because this is, is that, happening. Is that a panel title? We're working, we're working to the verge of the merge, Ryan, because this is the permissionless is in two months. Two months. You have two months to get your ticket. And in two months, we will be on the cusp of the merge. I mean, excuse me, pardon me, the verge of the merge. So Justin Drake <laughs> is going to be talking all about that. Of course, Chris Dixon from the famous uh, Web3 Mental Models podcast. You guys know all about Chris. Nick Carter is going to talk about stable coins. Eric, Peter is, Eric Peters, who's been on the podcast before, is going to talk about uh, some uh, changing world order type content, I'm, gu- I'm guessing. Uh, and then we also got Jiho from Axie Infinity, Jake Stravinsky for all the legal minds out there, Ryan Selkis, Stani from Ave. Uh, it's going to be, I think, the, the hottest event of the summer. Uh, and this is, of course, where Ryan and I will meet for the very first time. So it's going <laughs> to be a fun time. We, uh, Bankless books their Airbnb. So Bankless has an Airbnb. There's going to be the Bankless party. It's going to be sick as... Um, a lot. It's going to be very sick. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, it's going to be in Palm Beach, to Florida, too. Yeah. The dates mm-hmm. are May 17th through 19th. And David said you have two months to get these tickets. You kind of do, but also you kind of don't. Because, mm-hmm. number one, they're probably going to sell out 
in the coming uh, weeks. And number two, they just get more expensive over time. All right. Mm-hmm. So there was a time you could purchase these tickets for like fifteen dollars. I don't want to tell people that, but like right. the price has gone up a lot since then, and it will continue to go up until the date of the conference. So book now. Of course, if you have a Bankless Premium membership, you get a discount on this. It's big like discount, 20, not a little discount, yeah, a big it, discount. Is it 20? 20 percent 30%? 30%. 30%. 30%. 30%. A generous, yeah. a healthy discount. Yeah. So go it check that out. It pays for your whole entire premium membership. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> Some no-brainers there. Also, another no-brainer, mm-hmm. connect your wallet to Zerion. Mm-hmm. Zerion is, is like the best. Like uh, When I first discovered Zerion getting into crypto, right? it's just like, oh my God, I can bring my assets to the interface rather than being locked inside of the interface, mm-hmm. like with mm-hmm. a Wells Fargo account. And they are adding features all of the time. Uh, some of my favorite features that they've added recently is like multi-chain support, mm-hmm. Ethereum, Optimism, so L2s, mm-hmm. Avalanche's alternative L1s. They also have Phantom support. They just added Solana support. So this is like their first non-EVM chain. So you know how you have your assets scattered all over the crypto universe here? Uh, you can organize that. You can track them all in one single mission control center user interface for your DeFi antics. Also, David, there's some uh, bridging capability here. Bridge or uh, time to be a I know you like to bridge. I'm yeah. Bridge so, what can you do here? Yeah. So, we're going to be in a multi chain world. Whether uh, with uh, multi layer one, multi layer two, it's going to happen. And you shouldn't have to go to the Optimism website or the Arbitrum website to go and use their portals. You should just go to Zerion because they got it all for you. Uh, you may imagine just like you know a, a triple monitor, five monitor setup, and you have like all. This is what Zerion does. It's your battle station for the multi-chain world, and it makes it extremely easy to bridge to all the other layer twos. The, one of the fun stories I like to tell about why people should load up their uh, address to something like uh, Zerion, like the first time I did it, Ryan, uh, you, you discovered know, things. Yeah, you know how you sometimes you you discover twenty dollars in, in your pocket. Yeah, like yeah. Zerion will tell you everything about the state of the tokens that you have. So yeah. there's a decent chance you have tokens that you don't aren't even aware of. So go check your pants pockets by loading up your address into Zerion. All the all that change in the cushions of your couch, you know, mm-hmm. sh- shake all yeah. that out. Go yeah, go, go find go it. Go turn it into ETH. <laughs> yeah, I honestly I found some NFTs this way too because they have an NFT viewer. Mm. These are not my NFTs, but I was like, oh, I own some okay NFTs and they're <laughs> actually like worth something, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool to know, especially uh. NFTs aren't worth as much as they were maybe a month or two ago. So. And then what happened next was Ryan pulled out his tax document and started updating it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, too. True story. <laughs> anyway, guys, go check that out. Go connect your wallets to Zerion and uh, get this all in one place. Of course, we will include a link in the show notes because that's what we do for you. Market time, David. Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. What do you got happy, to say about happy Bitcoin? Bitcoin. This week? Happy Bitcoin. Yeah? Happy crypto prices this week. Yeah, Bitcoin started the week at $41,000, ending the week right where it is right now at $44,000, up 7% on the week. A little bit of chop from A to B, but here we are at $44,000. So, the, How are we the, doing the bulls, that? Are, the thought, bulls are bullish. I thought we were down only. How are we doing this? This is like almost, you know, it's rising above some of these uh, local peaks, the last like early yeah. March peak. Is yeah. this a pre? Is this a pre-war uh, conflict peak here? Yeah, that's exactly right. We are we what? are starting to get higher than where we were pre-Russian invasion of Ukraine. That is crazy. And how about ETH? What's that looking same, like? Same, same, same. Yeah, started the week at two thousand eight hundred. Uh, that was the low, and we are currently just below three thousand one hundred. Basically, call it three thousand one hundred dollars. Uh, we got up to three thousand one hundred and twenty dollars right before recording. Dipped a little bit down right below it, but again. 
uh, chop between the A to the B at the start of the week to the end of the week. But, you know, overall, when you zoom out and look at it smoothly, it's a, it is a lineup. You know, I, I, I think I've told you before that, like, that 3K number is really important to me. Anytime yeah. it's above 3K, it's a good day, yes. right? It's yes. like, feels it feels bullish. It mm-hmm. uh, feels like we're escaping 3K is via, bullish. 3K yeah, is bullish. the pull of the bear market. Mm-hmm. So, uh, wow, up on the week. And is this on any news or anything, David? Like, why are we going up? Uh, there's a bunch of reasons I could I could hypothesize about. Um, I th- but I don't really have any strong conviction about any of them. Uh, so I think like the, the trade, if you're a trader, putting on your trade or hat is just an overall mean reversion. So like uh, Ryan, zoom out to like the the four month four month time frame or something this like is that. Three. Oh, three months, yeah. Can I do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess the, the mean reversion trade has actually started to already kind of play out, going from twenty six hundred to like thirty two hundred. But there's also the mean reversion trade of going from like three thousand back to four thousand. Uh, and so like two different trade timeframes uh, for trades on, on the menu. But you know sometimes people are like, well, the the sellers just got exhausted. And there's not enough sellers to keep on making price go down. And even though macro or macro is still super bearish, uh, crypto, like whenever crypto disassociates from macro, it's usually to the bullish side. Um, yeah. And I think that's perhaps what's going on. Yeah, that's um, at some point, I'm definitely far from calling this sort of thing, right? I still believe we're very much in like kind of like a crab, crab market season sideways okay. action. Yep. But like at some point, prices get high enough, it does break the back of, of the bear market and the bear mm-hmm. market fears. I don't know what price point that is for ETH. Certainly higher than 3,100. Yeah, certainly We still have higher. room to go. Do you think it's all-time high? Like, what are we all-time high for ETH? I mean, okay, uh, so we, we're going to look at some, we can definitely look at some trends, right? 4,600. So 4,600, 40, but also, like, if you, can you make that window go away? Uh, like, the 3,300 number is kind of where, you, we, we were hanging around 3,300 between August and September of 2021. We were hanging around 3,300 at the start of 2022 before we broke it down. So I would say breaking 3,300 and getting into the area between 3,300 and 4,000 is like, Starts the, to feel that's on the, the next window, uh, and okay. then and then it's just absolutely confirmed by the time we get above four thousand, obviously, because you know bullishness, bullishness begets bullishness. Um, but like, there's very little price action above four thousand. Like, we haven't spent a lot of time, only a couple months of time, but above four thousand, and so like above four thousand is price discovery. Uh, and so like, if you're not into the trade by then you've like kind of missed out on it a lot, but like, that's when you can kind of start to ask yourself like, well, there's not really much information here about what happens next. Therefore you're, you're, uh, you have permission to be bullish about, you know, price discovery once again, especially because it's not going to just like zoom from 3000 to 4,000 and like, it's not going to do it in one month. I mean, right. it's, it's done it before it could do it, but like, it's probably not. Uh, but like, you know, you start to look out at the two, three, four month time horizons and like, that's when the merge happens. So once again, the alignment between the timing of the merge and the shape of the charts is interesting. And we will actually be able to see that, Ryan, when we look at the ETH BTC ratio. I think that's where we're going next, but, but I got to say, this is, um, kind of not supposed to happen that way, right? You, according to a lot of, uh, according to the sentiment that I'm mm-hmm. feeling like, it's like the sentiment is we're in kind of this crab market and we're still destined to go down. Mm. But it seems like we're kind of starting to reverse those trends and we'll see if that continues. But what's well, the ratio? The sentiment doesn't cause market action. <laughs> it generally <laughs> <True>. follows it. 
Okay, so this is the long-term view of the ETH-BTC ratio. Back when things got really, really crazy in 2017, 2018, and then we had the 2018 to 2020 bear market, and now you can see this channel that we're forming, and the ETH-BTC ratio, we, we were talking about how for like there was three to four months of straight down, downwards price action, both in dollar terms and in ETH-BTC terms, starting in like November, December of 2021 to uh, basically like three weeks ago. Uh, and we bounced off the bottom of that trend line and like kind of the self-fulfilling prophecy meme is that you bounce from trend line to trend line. Uh, and so we go from 0 0.07, 0 0.065, where we at the bottom to like something like 0 0.09, 0 .0, 0 0.095, which is really bullish. Uh, what's so, our, what's our flipping watch number for this? Oh, I know that one. Uh, 0.158, Ryan. <laughs> I do have it memorized. Uh, 0.158. Yeah. So we need, we need a, basically a doubling, uh, a little bit more than a doubling of the ETH price with the current Bitcoin price staying it's steady here, to, to huh? flip it. Yeah. It's pretty high. It's pretty high up there. Um, but never like, been there before. Never. No, no, we have not. Um, uh, the spikes on the very far left, this is Coinbase. The spikes on the very far left are noise. You don't see that on any other chart. Fun fact. He got it. Okay, cool. Uh, that's somebody who uh, observes his ratio right there. My brother, <laughs> David Hoffman. <laughs> Bankless bed index. A third, a third, a third. Bitcoin, ETH, and DPI. What are we doing there? Yeah, start of the week at 97. Ended the week where we are now at 113. Wow, that's higher than when I wrote it down a, a couple minutes ago. We are up uh, roughly 8.5% uh, bullish. Overall bullish on the market. Hey, we'll take that. Um, let's talk about these outflows. It's really cool when we see big outflows, I think. You can track it all on-chain. This is Into the Block doing it. The largest outflows in 2022 so far, over 180K ETH was withdrawn from centralized exchanges in a single day. The last time such a magnitude of ETH left exchanges was in October 2021, preceding a 15% price increase within 10 days. Also of note, 190K ETH was also deposited into Lido's staking ETH contract, into the Lido staking pool. What's happening here? Are people like withdrawing their ETH to stake it? Is this like merge hype catching up with um, like the actions of the market now? Is this what we're seeing? Well, I mean, this this happened at around the same time that we saw a very large increase in the validator queue, the queue to get into e-staking. Uh, for those that don't know, you can't just like go and send your ETH to a smart contract and begin staking. You have to enter and exit out of a queue, uh, and that queue is just meant to stabilize uh, the security around the proof of stake chain, right? Like we want to make sure that this security of the chain doesn't go up and down too fast. So they have like they have like a bottleneck to, to you gotta wait to get in and out. The wait to get in I think is above. And by the a way, you can't get right out right now just for yes, forever. So it's a one way ticket now, but it, yes. there will be a way out and there we'll also a have out. a queue out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so I mean you tell me that there were significant outflows out of exchanges and there's significant uh, ETH queuing for the validator. Like well I mean mm. I know how to interpret data. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Do you know how to interpret bullish data, David? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Plus, like the other reason why this is always bullish, we always like to see for a number of reasons um, why ether leaving exchanges. Same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin leaving exchanges, going into either like uh, private keys, self self custodied addresses, or smart contracts. One is bullish just because a lot of price discovery happens on centralized exchanges. Centralized exchanges determine what the price is. So any new buying demand goes on to centralized exchanges first. Uh, and so any new demand for Ether uh, is now, now that there's 180,000 less Ether on, on centralized exchanges, 
a dollar worth of, per, of ETH purchase means a lot more to the price just because things are a lot more sensitive when there's a lot less Ether on secondary markets. There's a lot less volume. Uh, and so that's the bullish the, the, the bullish side of things. There's also the philosoph uh, uh, philosophical side of things is we have 180,000 more Ether that's bankless or bankless Ether. Uh, there's people using smart contracts, people using DeFi, people moving their Ether out of centralized exchanges, which dev definitely seems to fit the narrative, the, the trend of the last uh, two months or so of uh, nation states like looking over at crypto and being like, I don't like what you guys are doing. Uh, and so yeah. then, you know what we do? We withdraw sanction our ether. <laughs> yeah. We're going to sanction you. Yeah. yeah. That's the name of the show is bankless. So mm -hmm. 180K in one day just went bankless. Mm -hmm. More assets, more bankless. It's awesome. This bankless is why world. This we is the world here. We, we're, we're here to build. Decentralization. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about the uh, world Do Kwan is here to build. Uh, we talked about this a little bit. You like these segues. They're getting better, Dave. Yeah, they are getting Do better. Do Kwan uh, reveals a plan to increase USTs. That's the stablecoin on uh, the Luna network, the Terra network, I should say. Um, Bitcoin reserve. Just jack that up to $3 billion. So last week we talked about Do Kwan um, saying, hey, eventually I want at least $10 billion worth of Bitcoin backing UST. So UST is like an algorithmic stablecoin. Uh, primarily, it's backed by Luna, the value of, of Luna. And we've seen a lot of Algo stablecoins, like not to, not to be like the, uh, the old um, geezers on the podcast, but like you and I have seen a lot of algorithmic stablecoins rise and, and fall <laughs> in our day. <laughs> Many of them, right? And I've always thought of them as uh, interesting experiments, right? Mm -hmm. And like maybe we can get one right at some point in time, but um, haven't yet. There's always been sort of a, a crash in a, in a cataclysm. I think Doe is wanting to um, uh, like mitigate that a little bit by adding multiple collaterals to his algorithmic stablecoin, not just Luna, but also Bitcoin. So um, increasing to 3 billion Bitcoin that is going to be backing this. What are your thoughts here, David? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, it makes sense, right? Multi-collateral backed stablecoins. I've heard this one before. MakerDAO is, is this model. Uh, I'm currently in a little bit of a Twitter tussle with Do Kwan because he made this tweet saying, by my hand die, the die stablecoin will die, like have a death. Wait, uh, what did he say? Uh, he said, by my hand, die will die. As in, like, he wants to kill die. He wants to, like, outcompete die. And I'm like, I know the Elon Musk shit, man. Right? Right? It's some Icarus level stuff, dude. Like, okay, <laughs> what he's really saying is, like, MKR price is going to go down while, while uh, Luna price is going to go up. Yeah. Um, but, like, dude, you can't kill die. It's, like, one of the most battle-tested decentralized stablecoins of all time. Like, sure, Respect we can talk. your elders. We can talk. We can talk. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, you're just recreating the maker, the, the maker down model in a, in a different way. Uh, anyways. There's uh, more, more, like, more steps in some ways, right? Mm -hmm. There's more custody. Although, although uh, you know, maker, maker and die, to be fair, has a lot of, like, centralized stablecoin yeah, backing it certainly. at this point in time. Certainly. But go um, on. Uh, Do tell, say more. Okay, so so I tweeted after to his response, uh, my money's on Dai, as in like, no, Doquan, you're not going to kill Dai. And so on Twitter, he, he gives me this. Uh, let's see if I can, uh, that's, no, that's not going <laughs> Is that yeah. Nick Cage? Like, yeah, it's Nick Cage going, oh, really? And then does like the, <laughs> the empty brain, like uh, empty brain meme, just making fun of me. 
And like, it's just always funny when I see like L1 founders engaging in just like uh, kind of degenerate Twitter antics. Anyways, uh, I have DMs out to Do Kwan to do an AMA on Bankless all about what he's up to with, uh, with uh, Terra and, and, and all this. So all of the, uh, the Luna shills that are in my DMs trying to get me to get uh, Do Kwan on Bankless, go Let's to him, go to, go to go. him, tell him because he, he, he has the invite. He has the invite. DMs inbound, though. We'd love yeah. to have you on the show. Want to talk a little bit more yeah, let's about, talk about, this. Um, let's, let's, about stable coins. Hear about your plan coins. to kill die. I'd love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, what's going on here? Uh, we've got, um, a st- I, I guess, a burn watch we should talk a little bit about. So six billion ETH has been burnt to date. Six billion dollars worth of ETH has been burnt. We're not even a year into EIP fifteen five nine, David. We got six billion ETH burnt. But also, uh, this the burn rate right now, as of when we are uh, talking about this 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 week in the last couple of weeks, is plunged has plunged to a seven month low. That is why, because gas fees are low, because block space demand has decreased. So transactions are cheaper. A byproduct of that is we actually burn less ETH. Even though we're burning less ETH, though, we're still burning a lot. This is Mm -hmm. uh, ultrasound.money, again, where you can simulate the burn uh, on the one day, for instance, in a post-merge world. When's the merge going to happen? I don't know. Is it June, David? June to August. Maybe we'll talk about that. June to August. We'll talk about that. We would be still burning 0.9% of total ETH uh, supply per year. So that would be deflationary. That would be ultrasound ETH mm-hmm. in this in this scenario post in a post merge world. So still a lot of ETH being burnt, and uh, but not as much as before. What are your thoughts here, Ryan? If uh, the amount of ether that was burnt was a token on Coin Market Cap or Coin Gecko, it would come in um, twenty. 24th, right ahead of Bitcoin Cash. It would be the 24th highest market cap token, the, the amount of Ether that's burnt. Uh, so there's your fun fact for the day. Oh, that is a fun fact. Uh, we haven't talked about the burn in like at least like three or four shows. So, you know, got to bring it back because it happens. I, I bet we have. On a weekly basis. <laughs> Don't fact check us. Yeah. Don't fact check us, Bigless Nation. Uh, okay. Amiable Finance, they just originated $1 billion worth of loans this is a, a protocol for DeFi services for institutions, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because I fixed, think that fixed is money theme. markets, yeah, aggregation yeah. of loans, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's a theme of today's episode, which is like, hey, the institutions, like, they're not coming; they're they're already yeah. here, yep. and this is them here in DeFi. Uh, so, what is Maple Finance again? Can you refresh us? Yeah, it's a fixed money market, like it aggregates a bunch of loans and simplifies it, and uh, it just it makes life easier for institutions who are trying to get yield in DeFi. Uh, Maple Finance has been grinding for years. Uh, I remember talking to them back in my realty days, uh, 2019 to 2020. Uh, Australia. Australia, right? Australia based. Australia based. Yeah. So definitely like true to the to the good ethos, true builders of, of good DeFi products. So uh, just tip of the hat to, to Maple Finance. Congratulations for breaking $1 billion. Look at this. Congratulations on this tie, Sid Powell yeah. from Maple Finance. <laughs> hey, that's this what happens when you, have to, when you have to deal with institutions. You wear ties. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just for the headshot, right? All right, guys, we will be back with the releases of the week and, of course, the hot news of the week. We're going to get to Vitalik on the cover of Time and some other things. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we are back with the releases of the week. Got to start with this release. This made some waves. Loop Rings LRC, their LRC token is up 
And that's because there was a beta release of GameStop's NFT marketplaces built on Loopring mm-hmm. that was just released. This is a little bit of what it looks like. You can connect your wallet. You can add funds to Loopring's Layer 2 here. Uh, GameStop plus Ethereum Layer 2. That seems like a good marriage. Now, mm-hmm. we also, I think, heard uh, about Immutable right. doing this with yeah. um, with GameStop as well. So I'm, I'm a little bit confused because it feels we're like... Getting, um, we're getting some mixed messages here. Yeah, GameStop's definitely on Layer 2, but like they're they're dating two different Layer 2s right now, it seems like. Yeah, and and well, actually, when you do the whole like log in with your wallet, there is actually no like loopering or actually, for that matter, immutable uh, like branding it's just or a anything. Login. So like, what yeah. is what Layer 2 is this? Uh, like there there's the formal relationship between uh, uh, GameStop and, and Immutable X, and they are, have that, that $100 million fund. Uh, but then like, okay, so, so the backstory here is that there is uh, a former loopering uh, business developer. We've had, we had him on the show. Um, uh, Matt Feinstone, guy. great, great guy, great Matt's guy, fantastic. Uh, got but got poached by GameStop to start building out their NFT ecosystem. So Loopring business developer went to went to GameStop. Uh, I'm sure Matt, uh, with you know knowing Loopring in and out, uh, uh, connected GameStop to Loopring, and that's the connection there. But then GameStop, I think, elected to go with uh, with Immutable, which I mean makes sense because Loopring. Uh, uh, Immutable X is a validium, which is off-chain data, but on-chain transactions, on-chain assets. So it's it's super fast, super cheap. Loopring is more fully- Costs you nothing to mint things, Costs you right? nothing. Well, it costs yeah. the network something, but it costs you, the Immutable user, nothing. Immutable just pays for yeah, it. Yeah. Immutable just pays for it, which makes sense because like with Loopring, you still have like 30 cent transaction fees and everything's on-chain. So like it's actually better for like very, very high value transactions. Like I would feel more comfortable having my CryptoPunk on Loopring than I would on Immutable. Um, but uh, like for gaming, makes less sense. And so like there, there's no reason why they have to pick one NFT marketplace, one NFT platform. But like the mixed messaging here is a little bit confusing. So what are they actually doing with with uh, Loopring? I don't know. Um, it's also interesting well, it's, that, that Loopring is tweeting about this and not necessarily GameStop. Yeah, I was just going to say that. And But of course, anytime you uh, you tweet something about GameStop, like uh, it, do, it does quite well. It gets wow. a lot of attention. Wow. Like, look at this. Uh, and uh, LRC price is up a little bit on this news, mm-hmm. uh, but but maybe not a ton. Right. I, I think that like the bigger spike with um, the price of the Loopring token actually happens like, look at this, back right. in when, November. When uh, the, the, rumors the started first cranking. rumors about, about the Matt Feinstone bridge Loopring relationship with GameStop happened. But then, but then they announced, but then GameStop announced their relationship with Immutable and then it kind of tanked back to the pre-price and, but now it's up just a little bit. So got a little blip. Uh, yeah. Market, but- market confused. Market confused, but not super excited about that. Which yeah. this, which uh, which does maybe tell you something. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, let's talk about this. Uh, a protocol called TimeSwap just launched on the Polygon network. This is a fixed income lending and borrowing protocol for ERC twenties. Uh, it's built on Polygon. I guess you know we've seen a lot of these um, lending and borrowing protocols. The the special sauce here is no no Oracle. Uh, somehow, so that makes it you know permissionless. There's no like governance apparatus. Uh, they're, they're saying non-liquidatable. They're also saying it's got fixed maturity lending and borrowing. So you can kind of um, lock in the date at which these these uh, these assets will mature. And of course, this is in DeFi. 
um, built on Polygon first. I, I guess like my observation about this stuff, and like I think we cover as many as we can and as many as we see, but so many launch that we're just like not able to fit into the rollup every week. But one ob- observation I've had is like we're starting to see more innovation on the edges. And what I mean by that is like the new protocols are being developed and launched, like the new weird stuff uh, on layer twos and on sidechains first not on Ethereum. And once they prove themselves in kind of these like more local jurisdictions, then maybe they make their way back to Ethereum and they kind of launch on mainnet. But the innovation is starting to happen at the edges. So I guess one message is like, be on the lookout for cool new projects on sidechains and layer Mm -hmm. twos. That's where the action is going to be. That's where the innovation is going to be in the future. The alpha is always on the frontier. That's why we have the, <laughs> the going west metaphor. It's the new frontier. Oh yeah. my god! Yeah, yeah. we. I mean, we were in Colorado. I guess now we're we're just headed. Mm-hmm. We're headed west towards uh, towards Oregon. California. Going to California, the gold rush. California, baby. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> come visit me. Um, just. More and more space. And this makes sense, right? Because innovation needs to have cheap fees. If you're going to take risks, you need to have cheap fees. Because why would you take risks when you have to pay the fees of the Ethereum L1? So I think the process for this is that developers, and the cost of innovation goes to zero on the layer twos. Developers are free to experiment, are free to innovate. And then they are free to experiment and get their product market fit. And then if they do get it, it justifies returning back to Manhattan, back to the L1. and, and ha- you, can, you can have your ceremony of just like, yo, we made it, guys, by deploying your contracts on the L1 because you have proven that there is sufficient demand to justify it on the layer two. The new frontier. L two twenty two. You like that, that one, uh, Ron? I, I like it a lot, yeah. David. I don't know where you come up with this stuff, <laughs> sir. It's just genius. Um, Robinhood, they're coming up with some stuff too. Uh, a new debit card that offers crypto rewards. Well, where have I seen that? Uh, some of the the quotes are interesting here. Of course, everyone's trying to get Gen Z now. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, millennials, you're no longer hot. It's all about <laughs> Gen Z. <laughs> and uh, the idea is to turn non-crypto natives onto Bitcoin. So basically, it's a debit card because according to this article, uh, Gen Z doesn't like credit cards. They just want debit cards. I don't know. That's what the article says, David. I don't know. Uh, and, is Decrypt uh, the alpha for this? I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> But we do know they do like crypto. And so when you use your debit card, you can like, like basically if, if you're paying something and it's, you know, 90 cents, you can just round up to the dollar and that 10% gets allocated to whatever you want, including crypto. You buy some ETH with that. You buy some Bitcoin with that little excess on your debit mm-hmm. card. So mm-hmm. I think the story here is like Robinhood becoming more crypto friendly and actually taking a page out of the crypto bank's book, right? Mm-hmm. Gemini does this already mm-hmm. um, with their card. As does BlockFi, uh, as as does uh, Coinbase. Like they're all going to do this, and now fintech is coming to crypto for like the uh, the new features, which is sort of mm-hmm. sort of interesting to me. I will have to say that a crypto themed like credit or debit card is like okay, cool. Like you get the thumbs up, but like there's no innovation points on that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something. It's probably table stakes. It's probably table something stakes. you have to have table to stakes. keep uh, to keep yeah. going. All right, man. You want to get to some raises? Yeah. Okay. Let's let's go with it. Let's go with this one. This one's awesome. The mega raise. The mega raise. Yeah. So Board Ape Yacht Club creators Yuga Labs raises four hundred and fifty million dollars. That is a large number to build. 
the first version of the metaverse. Uh, these are my words, first version of the metaverse. Uh, but we, we talk about the metaverse a lot. Like, oh, NFTs, they are part of the metaverse. Digital land, they are part of the metaverse. Yuga Labs is on a race to build out the, full, the first fully-fledged version of the metaverse. So complete with land, complete with uh, NFTs, being the Bored Apes and all the other uh, IP that Yuga Labs owns. Uh, you know, complete with you know, I, people running around in their avatars doing Bored Ape things. They have the Ape coin for the currency of that metaverse. So they are not doing just one part of the metaverse. They are doing the full entire metaverse. Uh, this funding round evaluates Yuga Labs at $4 billion dollars. And like using that kind of like frame of reference for what Yuga Labs is building, knowing, as a team that has been known to execute and execute very, very well, um, you know, re remember when Ryan, when Bored Apes used to be considered like the poor man's punk and now they're almost like 2x the floor price of punks. And so, how they just like bought like punks last and they week. Bought, and they bought the punks, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And so like people are looking at the ApeCoin drop at the current valuation of $13 billion and being like, that Jeez. is ridiculous. That's way too high. Usually airdrops happen, they, are, they have a spike of interest, but then they just basically bleed to zero. People, yeah. in my mind, are valuing this ape coin based on the value of like a completely fully fledged uh, first, meta first functional metaverse ever coming out of Yuga Labs. Right, uh, and so that is that is the uh, the the value thirteen billion dollars. That is absolutely insane. Thirteen billion dollar a drop. That makes that makes the minting of a, a, a board ape perhaps one of the greatest investments of all time. I think it was 0 0.08 ETH to mint an ape. So that's now like a hundred ETH. Don't one. remind me, okay? That's you, painful. And, but then you also we got here. the ape coin airdrop, Ryan. You also got probably. I think. I <laughs> well, think the, they got mutant apes airdrops as well. Maybe they had to mint yeah. those too. Um, but yeah, minting an ape, one of the best investments of all time. Dude, uh, I would. You know what? Maybe William Peaster can do a uh, metaversal post on that. You know, what? I'd love to see the best NFT investments of all time. Like mm -hmm. compare like the original CryptoPunks, right. um, you know, like mints to this. But yeah. this is their slide deck. It's, okay, it's bullish. It's you go It's a, it's a pretty Chad Chad uh, uh, deck. It's a Chad deck. Well, when you've got a slide that just lists like you know twelve different celebrities and their mm -hmm. names are Shaq, Post Malone, Snoop Dogg, Justin Bieber, Timberland. Future, the Beebs, Serena Williams, <laughs> and they're all like apes, right? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. You've done something really well to right. kind of penetrate. Uh, and this is all about, I mean, there's so much in this slide deck. We'll include a link in the show notes. But, and we think like our conspiracy theory, right? It's like, I think you said this, that uh, this was probably leaked to hype up what they're doing. So yes. people like Bankers Intention, would the go intentional talk about leak. It. The intentional leak. Yeah. So this is basically like they're saying everyone's done crappy versions of the metaverse. No one else gets it. We uh, have the brands and uh, the the ability to actually pull off a metaverse. The thing that Zuckerberg is talking about, like that's the thing that we can build and we are going to build. And ApeCoin is the currency of this. You know, the NFT early community and all of our brands will be sort of the, the NFT layer and uh, come hang with us and you know it's going to be really awesome and now all we have to do is build it mm -hmm. uh so if you want to hear more content about this this uh this news actually dropped while we were live streaming on the state of the nation on tuesday about this exact topic so you can go watch that that state of the nation it's, it's about yuga labs buying the punks but we also talk about what they're building we had a number of builders on that show who were saying like okay yeah yuga labs executed on on the branding behind board apes but like Building a metaverse, building digital land, and all, all the other things that they're talking about, like, that's hard. And that's something new. 
so sure, they have the ability to execute in one domain. Does that mean that they have that it carries over to the ability to execute in like three other domains simultaneously? Uh, TBD. I kind of agree. I kind of agree with that take, which is like you have one category of execution that you've absolutely crushed. And Mm -hmm. that is like narrative building, story building, branding, marketing, total points there. You total crushed it. But the metaverse, that is a different different type of execution ability, right? And the question is, can you now pull that off as well? And uh, I, I guess we'll have to see. But um, they're definitely funded to do that. A16Z was involved in that funding round. They did uh, their profile pick of uh, you know whatever board ape that they hold. Uh, uh, 3D glasses, board ape with an astronaut suit. The astronaut suit's a nice touch. <laughs> you like this one? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, they put it as their profile pick. For, for a very day. short amount of time. That's yeah, one day. No, no you know, the announcement day. The announcement day. Just to That's all you up, get. Yeah. Just one day. Um, okay, let's keep moving. FTX is backing a $500 million crypto gaming platform on Terra. What's super interesting is these Alt-Layer 1 ecosystems are also accruing their own funding um, you know, funding rounds too. And $500 million for a crypto gaming platform, like that just blows my, <laughs> blows my mind, the money that is flowing into this space right now. Do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, no, no thoughts other than just that you, there's absolutely you would have no idea what the price action would be if it, it being down for the last four months based on the, the valuations that are being pulled in the private rounds. So absolutely, these private, private, private rounds, rounds are not market. bearish. Yeah, it's like, do you remember how the private rounds like dried up in uh, 2018, 2019? Like yeah. no one, like people couldn't raise money. Yeah, like yeah. I remember talking to founders and they're like, it's it's really hard. Like yeah. we don't know if we're gonna be able to survive. And um, this is not that this type of bear that. market at all. all. Yeah. Um, Thank you for we'll printing see. all the money, Federal Reserve. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, FDX, they just invested $100 million in an app, banking app, called Dave. Yeah, I, Ryan, I have a banking app that I sold for $100 million. <laughs> <laughs> Is this yours, Dave? Yeah. A th- banking uh, app called Dave. <laughs> they have Dave.com. I'm yeah. surprised that wasn't yours, Dave. Yeah, well. uh, <laughs> have you used this before? I have not used this. This is the first time I've heard about this. <laughs> Okay, this is the first time David has heard about Dave. Um, anyway, this is an example, I think, of FTX, like, I don't know what you'd call this, but, like, going toward the, the TradFi side of things, right? So FT, FTX is obviously, like, a crypto exchange, a crypto bank, and now they are investing in, in TradFi fintech companies, $100 million worth. Uh, so, you know, smart move, but this is all, like, we've had this thesis for a long time that crypto banks would just become basically neo banks and mm-hmm. this is looks like what they're evolving into kind of see cool to see uh, crypto get involved a bit more in in fintech i don't know very much about dave but um you should invite these guys to dave dow david oh they're they're in dave dow <laughs> <laughs> just, right, just in, because yeah. of the name uh-huh. <laughs> um world oh, coin oh, oh boy okay they just raised a hundred million dog i feel like they just raised the last anyway, time we again. heard about world coin was because of their raise and their announcement right. Okay, so I, I wasn't making that up. Um, they raised $100 million, this time at a $3 billion token Jesus. valuation. What What is WorldCoin for people who forgot about this thing? Okay, talk so about a lot of raises. Th- there is a particular like niche in crypto that has been tried a number of times, and that is the Sybil-resistant uh, uh, token distribution, as, as in, can we distribute the same amount of tokens to everyone in the world. And so the attempt here is to make your token value valuable by fairness, 
right? So if everyone has the equal, an equal amount, then that's super, super fair. And humans value fairness. Humans value legitimacy. We did a great podcast on this with Vitalik Buter entitled Legitimacy. You should definitely listen to that if you haven't. Uh, and so this is an attempt for that. When they released the first time around, um, they got absolutely slaughtered on Twitter and in the, in the public sphere because of how they actually went about trying to solve civil resistance. And they did it with these like super dystopian silver ball looking things that scans your iris and it uses your iris and your fingerprints as like an anti-civil mechanism. So it's the classic web two model of like, give us your data and we'll give you money. And so they got absolutely slaughtered on crypto Twitter and every, they, and they were funded by like a very big names, like uh, Three Hours Capital, uh, A16Z, uh, uh, and Coinbase is now in this one. Uh, Coastal Ventures. Right. Uh, and, and so they, they were in the news cycle. So we, we reached out to them to host them on State of the Nation because it, w- it was hot in the news cycle. That's what we do. Uh, and they were afraid to come on. They, we, we told them, like, you guys need to come on because you guys are getting slaughtered in the narrative. And if you ever want to justify or explain your project, you guys need to, you guys are welcome to use our platform to explain what you guys are up to. And they were too scared. <laughs> do you think they were? I, they backed out at the they last minute, out. which yeah. surprised us. Oh, I don't fun. Know. Fun fact about that. You know what episode we did in, in, in lieu of that episode, Ryan? You remember? No. It was ultra scalable Ethereum. <laughs> oh, really? One of, one of the most popular episodes of all time. <laughs> oh, the one that we were just like, oh, shit. Because we, we, like, we got rugged. We got rugged. Yeah. They yeah. were like, yo, like, we don't want to come on anymore. We're not ready for the PR. And then we, I went back to the CEO and DM'd him on Twitter. It's like, you're making a huge mistake. Like Bankless is one of the most fair platforms you'll ever get ever. And you're not going to get this opportunity again. And then he just didn't respond. Uh, and so instead, uh, we grounded out and produced the agenda for ultra scalable Ethereum. It and it's one of the best I, episodes I remember, of all time. I remember being very stressed <laughs> with the cancellation there. Like, uh, mm-hmm. we don't usually get cancellations. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think like, um, look, I, I am actually optimistic. Like I was cautiously optimistic about this. I think, mm-hmm they may have gotten a fair like an unfair rap on twitter and and in in the crypto community i wanted them to kind of explain themselves because they have made some really cool engineering decisions for example they've they built this thing on a really interesting layer two set of technology so it's all like ultimately settled on ethereum and i do think fair distribution this way is a monetary experiment that we've never been able to successfully try so can we uh, mitigate the privacy concerns that people have. Like, I, I do think that they should spend some time with the crypto community and uh, and explain this. So I guess, despite what we've just said and despite the previous invitation, I would still welcome these guys on, at least somebody from their project to like right. talk a little bit about WorldCoin. But um, what they're in the news for is more funding not necessarily like actual progress. traction and progress. Right. So like so, you, we would know that there would be traction if people saw little silver balls in their neighborhood and we saw cues of people lining up to get their irises scanned. So bankless listeners, ah. if you've seen that, tweet at us and let us know if you've seen that because I certainly haven't. Yes. And I will not be first in line for that one. No, uh, I'll skip that. That's will, a crypto experiment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just wait for it. At least come on the podcast first and then we'll yeah. talk about it. Um, this is, kind of neat this is under the uh i guess the the title of why work at a crypto fund when you can go start your own uh katie Hahn, she was at a16z she was a partner she started her own fund recently she just raised 1.5 billion dollars for a web3 fund um again more money in the space more people breaking off from the funds that they were in and starting their own Here, here's another this is a former polychain capital founder 
who just launched a $125 million fund. Now, the, I guess the twist here is this fund is actually destined to become a DAO at some point in the future. Uh, let me describe how that works. It says, after the full $125 million is invested, that's the initial fund amount, the fund will be dissolved and the DAO um, and DAO 5 will return the limited partnership capital to investors and convert the fund into a DAO, which of course is an online community that uses smart contracts, cryptocurrency, et cetera, et cetera. So that is the plan for this, kind of a unique twist on things. Um, why, why join a fund when you could start your own, David? When bankless DAO, when bankless fund? Are we going to do a fund at some point? Uh, I mean... We've talked about this. The answer is yes. <laughs> if, if people are oh, interested, I've 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 too much I have too much to do. We're not not anytime soon, guys. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, why start a fund when you can build your own? That is the question, uh, and I think it's a question for for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Like these crypto economic tools make it easier than ever to like coordinate capital. So why not try some capital coordination experiments? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're listening mm-hmm. to Bankless, if you're plugged into DeFi, you're probably on the frontier. And you're probably able to make some pretty good investment decisions, at least if you've been in this space for a, a little bit and have seen some cycles play out. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see what Qualcomm do, does in the yeah. space. because Ooh, This one's mine, Ryan, because Qualcomm is yeah, based go. right around the corner from me. So they're in San Diego, They're right? in San Diego, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. They drive by their, their office every now and then. $100 million metaverse investment fund. And this is actually pretty interesting. And when I was reading this article, I was, uh, uh, I was reminded of uh, Kathy Wood's whole the future's nearer than we actually think. And there are like five megatrends in technology, one of them being blockchain, another one being um, basically like... Uh, kind of like AI chip, what, call, what Qualcomm's up to. So Qualcomm <laughs> is putting $100 million into a metaverse fund to build out things like VR headsets and things that demand chips. So because though so they are investing in the metaverse because they think the metaverse will create net new demand for microchips, for, sil- for, for silicon semiconductors. It's like the hardware side of the, the metaverse. The hardware side of the metaverse, right. Uh, and so this is the intersection of industries coming together to build out the future. And so, uh, reminder, the metaverse is not just crypto. It is so many more other things. It is uh, data centers and servers that can host persistent state of many, many different people from across the world, like significantly more massive MMORPGs. We need chips for that. Uh, It's headsets and immersive experiences. So these technologies are coming together and Qualcomm is putting $100 million into that investment. I do think crypto people forget about the hardware side of things. I mean, we are focused on the content. We're focused on the property property to populate the the metaverse and the people, but there's a lot of uh, like hardware uh, and, you know, data center tech underneath all of this. Um, this is another one. Uh, the teams behind the Mina, uh, Mina protocol, I think that's how you say it, Mina protocol, they just raised Mina? 92... Mina? Mina? Okay, I'll we'll go with Mina. I don't, I don't know. The Mina protocol, they just raised $92 million from Theros Capital, FTX, and others. This is a layer one chain, Sick. okay? And it is a privacy-focused chain. I don't know very much about this, to be honest, David. I haven't you know, gone down the, the rabbit hole on this one. Um, I imagine it. it's probably proof of stake. I imagine it's uh, using some advanced uh, cryptography. I imagine it's also a, um, a smart contract platform. Beyond that, I got to ask the question, like, do we have any more room for, for more layer one chains? Well, we have room for more layer one investments, Ryan. <laughs> that's, that's, we got lots of that, lots of room for that. At some point, it's got to become a bad investment though, right? It's like, I at some point, when when does the window fully close on layer ones? 
Well, okay, so privacy is is hot right now because of the whole conversations of sanctions and nation states and crypto. Uh, and so privacy tools and privacy tooling is in vogue at the moment. Uh, so I think that kind of explains that a little bit. I just always ask the question is, uh, you'd have to have a really good reason to build a layer one when you could also just build a layer two from an economics perspective. And sometimes I wonder if the the reason to build a layer one is just investors will fund your project for a lot of money and you can sell tokens. It's, that's been the status quo for like almost five years now. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about this. Paradigm just invested $8.75 million in Ribbon Finance. What's this about? So in the, in the TradFi world, we have these things called structured products, which is basically like, I, I think an, an analogy is like kind of like a yearns uh, custom strategies. Like you can you can load up yield strategies. So it's like a it's like a yield strategy DeFi product. We have these things in TradFi, but basically anything you can do in in TradFi, you can do even better in DeFi. So that's what Ribbon is. Uh, their project's declared mission is to create sustainable alpha. For everyone, uh, financial products are bundled per specific investment strategies. Uh, so uh, they just raised $8.75 million from Paradigm. I think this is a cool DeFi protocol. And if people want to check it out, of course, Bankless wrote a tactic about this. She Classic. This article, How to Make Money with Ribbon Finance. And uh, William Peaster describes it as a, a prepackaged and cross-protocol DeFi investment strategy. So if you want to learn how to use this thing, um, yeah, at the time we wrote it, APIs, APYs range from 10 to 54% on this thing. So pretty good APYs. Uh, go check out this article. We'll include a link in the show notes. Um, Dalio, Bridgewater, investing in a crypto fund. Finally. Da- Dalio's Finally. warming up a little bit to crypto. Finally, yeah. What do you think about this? It's... It's so frustrating. Uh, I know you and I are both reading his book. I don't know if you finished his book or not, Ryan. Um, but like... It's impossible to read his book, which is titled like uh, uh, "How Principles world for order. Principles yeah. for, for Living in a Changing World Order." And the changing world order is something we talk on Bankless about all the time. The he decli- just nails it. The, cli- the like, decline yep, of the dollar, yep, the yep. decline of institutions. Here's what you. Here's this is why we're. It, it, we talk about how it's risky to not go into crypto, while crypto is also risky itself. Things are risky and things are volatile and things are chaotic when we have changing world orders. And Ray Dalio is so tapped into this. What he's missing, and he t- he talks about how. The, the phoenix that rises from the ashes of like one broken world order moves into a new world order and then the phoenix rises from the ashes and we do it all over again. Uh, he talks about like these new, uh, these new uh, 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 nations always work well when they have their own internal financial markets, their own internal equities markets, their own like uh, uh, places of trade. And like, it's so frustrating when I'm hearing this and I'm like, oh, okay, so Ethereum, it's got its own Uniswap, it's got its own like DYDX, it's got its own money markets with Compound and Aave. It's got all of the financial institutions that Ray Dalio is, says is critical for the arising of a new, of the new neo nation, the next step in, in the world. And I'm like, Ray, it's right in front of you. It's right in front of <laughs> yeah, you. It's I- Ethereum. It's to- DeFi. Totally. It's crypto. He he literally goes. He's like, here here here's the history of you know Denmark and like Amsterdam is the first exchange, and then we got London, right? And that 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 was another financial. We invented the order. LLC. It's like yeah, hey, yeah. We, we have DAOs now. Exactly. And then and then he's like, and then it's New York, and then he's like, well, what what's going to be next? The question is, what's the next nation state on the rise? Is it going to be China? Maybe it's like Beijing is the next. I'm like. What about Ethereum? It's Ethereum. It's Ethereum. It perfectly fits into the trajectory. 
It, it really does. And I don't think he's, I just don't think that's on his radar. The raise the, the, like the rise of what we would call like the, you know, this new institution, the digital nation, these new protocols. Mm-hmm. I think even if you are, if you believe that nation states will get a whole nother big cycle, mm-hmm. you know, like fi- financial cycle and be kind of the empire, then even in the most like, I guess, bearish case for, you know, the bankless concept of a digital nation Crypto is still the new the thing. perfect bridge yeah. between the old paradigm and the new paradigm. So mm-hmm. you at least want to be crypt- in crypto because you don't know what the the future big nation, you know, new world order is going to be. And like so you want to be in crypto in order to get across that bridge because crypto is going to be essential for getting across the the bridge and establishing a new world order. So mm-hmm. we tend to think that Hey, the new world order will probably be based on crypto because it's the only credibly neutral institution to actually do the job in the digital era, right? It's mm. going to just slurp in all of the value, just like the internet has slurped in all of our, you know, communication content. But even if you don't believe that that's true, you know, crypto is going to play a massive role as the bridge between old paradigm and new paradigm. Anyway, all that to say, Ray's, Ray's getting it though. Mm-hmm. He's investing Slowly. in crypto Slowly. funds, mm-hmm. so it's it's starting to happen. There's a reason why we call it the bankless nation. And it's not just because it's a good name. Like it is a direct reference to exactly what Ray Dalio is talking about. We're building new nations in the sky uh, and they shall be bankless. <laughs> there you go, guys. Uh, if you want to get into the new nation, you got to get a job in crypto. That's what it takes. Uh, we got some fantastic jobs. We tell you every week to get a job in crypto. I think we just got a, a massive dump of new job postings on the bankless job boards. So you gotta check that out. Ready to dance. You ready to dance? Because I'm ready to read. All right, let's go. (laughs) You got the easier. Uh, Yeah, I will. Uh, (laughs) Blockchain engineer, DAOs. Masari is hiring that. What a fantastic Mm. role. Software engineer for market data, also at Masari. Go check those roles out. Operations manager, Syndica. Senior product designer, Smart DeFi. A senior Go Rust engineer at Syndica. A senior full stack engineer at Syndica. A senior software engineer, Airdrop Labs. A product manager for crypto at Nori. A bankless web developer at Bankless. An editor at Bankless as well. A senior product engineer at the Bankless Academy. A senior product engineer at Super Rare. Got a bunch more positions open for Masari. Should take a look at Gauntlet as well. Uh, David's done dancing, and uh, I got to take a sip of water because I've been reading a little bit. Uh, I would like to emphasize the bankless web developer would be in charge of building out one of the coolest websites of all time. I shouldn't even call it a website. (laughs) We need a better name for it. Uh, But if you want some alpha, you got to apply to be the bankless web dev. If you are a talented web dev who wants to lead uh, bankless into the world of Web3 and into the frontier, uh, pay attention to that one. Yeah, why would you not get a job in crypto? Companies are still hiring like crazy. This is not like the last bear market. This is a ton of hiring going on. Um, All right, man. Well, let's get to news, okay? Yeah. Yeah. And let's get to uh, Vitalik on the cover Mm. of Time Magazine. Look at this picture. Looking like an absolute king. (laughs) Well, he's not a king. He's the prince of crypto. Excuse me. Excuse me. It's on the the cover of Time Magazine. It says the prince of crypto has concerns on Vitalik's shirt. Uh, and then it says, Ethereum creator Vitalik Buterin fights to fix the world he created. And th- th- this isn't anything new. Vitalik in 2017 uh, made similar sentiments on Twitter saying like, yo, if this whole industry just turns into like pump and dump ICO Ponzi schemes, like I'm out of I'm here. Out. Yeah. Uh, and then the bear market happened. So he stayed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. Uh, but like now, uh, now once again, like it's always the hotline. Like Vitalik's a very like pragmatic, modest person. When he sees like all this scams and crypto, he's like, yes, 
those are bad. Like, I don't want Ethereum necessarily to be used for these things, but I understand the value of open permissionless systems. Um, but like, it's a really, really hot line for something, something like Time Magazine to be like, yo, the guy that invented crypto says it's bad. Uh, but you know, but the, it, you know what? That's a catchy look. We do it catchy. too. It's called, it's called, we call it legit bait. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is like, you say something, but like it has, has to have some legitimacy. And in the article, which was absolutely fantastic. I think everyone, if you got like, you know, 15 minutes, go read this article. Uh, Vitalik does, you know, put in place some of his his criticisms mm-hmm. about the current state of crypto. And many of these criticisms are always well-reasoned, but they're, they're also very valid. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they, they like they put him on the tech, but not everyone liked this image of Vitalik, David. So when this got out, of course, everyone in crypto was very excited to see Vitalik. And like, if you've met Vitalik, I mean... This is pretty much what he dresses like yep. and what he looks this, like. This is and tame Vitalik. Like this is, there's, but there's no pretense in the guy. Like right. you're never gonna catch him in, a, you know, a suit and tie and you know, fully buttoned up. And you, usually, it's in a unicorn t-shirt. <laughs> but I mean, some of the responses, some of the quote tweets on this mm. were absolutely like ridiculous mean. yeah ter- pretty terrible because crypto has a bad rap right so so here's a quote tweet from the time article this guy looks like the clone of uh, of tom brady can you go back to the other one this guy looks like the clone of tom brady keeps locked in his basement to periodically feed on to stay youthful <laughs> oh my god yeah uh there's there's a few others this is if tom brady was a dog was on dog food <laughs> How is it possible to be this re- rich and still be ugly? Oh my God, get a hair transplant or a Botox or a new wardrobe, something. Okay, this one, I want to dwell on this one. This is why I love Italic because he doesn't care about his image. He is a person. He is him. Uh, and like he shows up in ruffled hair that he didn't comb and it's in a, in a unicorn t-shirt because he has no ego. And who do you want most to be the founder of your, of your crypto project to have, have someone with zero ego? We are missing L1 founders with zero ego in this world, in my opinion. There's not, there's not very many. There was Satoshi, I think. There's Vitalik and mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if who there's else. another I can think of. Maybe Zuko. Zuko is a, is yep, a pretty cool guy. Mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A fantastic person as well. Um, my uh, my wife actually sent me this one. It was like, oh my god, everyone's being mean to Vitalik on the internet. Like, <laughs> like I could do something, <laughs> but I did. I I tweeted out. And I was like, most of the comments here suck, and this is so true. Vitalik is one of the best human beings I know. He'll be remembered as a historical figure of monumental importance. Petty people can't get past how he looks in this image. We don't deserve him. I a hundred percent stand by that. Oh, like, that's the right take. One of the best humans I know. Not only that, I think the Vitalik is going to be remembered across history. Mm-hmm. Like he is going to be one of the most important people, I think, of this century mm-hmm. uh, for his work in Ethereum. But the other things he's he's going to do in life as well. And um, it's super petty that people just you know take the take this picture right. and use it to insult him. Uh, pretty annoying actually to me, but there, we got a funny exchange out of it, David. I'm reminded of, uh, the layer zero I did with, um, uh, Santi Siri from, from Argentina. And he called, uh, Vitalik while he walked around Argentina in his like sandals, he called Vitalik like this monk figure. And I think mm. that's a, a very, very apt description of Vitalik, right? Like has, has no, like, uh, is not interested in material things is mostly interested in making good things happen for the world. Um, very polite, very respectful, um, very grounded, even, even, yeah, yeah. Very grounded individual. Yeah. I just, I know both of us have 
you know, mm. had the opportunity to interact with him on a number of occasions. And uh, he's just a fantastic human being mm. and represents the, the best of us. And I think mm. the best of this industry as well. But at least we got some fun out of this as yeah. well, because there was some back and forth on the, on the Tom Brady. Why don't you tell us what happened here? Okay, so Vitalik. Vitalik, Vitalik can take a joke. He can take a joke very, very well. He's, he's been used to getting just berated in all different capacities for, ever since he's been in crypto. So he, he re retweets the, the, all of these like terrible, terrible comments on him on Twitter. And he goes, the quote, quote tweets on the New Time article about me are truly amazing. These are barely even cherry picked. It's pretty much one piece of awesome after another. Highly recommend scrolling. Uh, and then he follows up his own tweet saying, I don't even know who Tom Brady is. Had to ask people around me. My best guess is that he is the actor from Mission Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's like, he quotes tweets like, Cruise Vitalik. Yeah. Sorry. So he quotes tweets like four, four tweets, like calling him Tom Brady. He's like, anyone else looks like Vitalik looks like Tom Brady on meth. Bro looks like a dystopian <laughs> oh Tom Brady. God. Tom Brady was a reverse Captain America super soldier serum. Uh, the no. Prince of Crypto kind of looks like Tom Brady after two years of retirement and no weightlifting. No. Okay. And then what happens? <laughs> Tom Brady retweets Vitalik, <laughs> Vitalik's tweet saying, I don't know who Tom Brady is. And Tom Brady says, what's up, Vitalik? You may not know me, but just wanted to say I'm a big fan of yours. Thank you for everything you've built in the world of crypto. Otherwise, Autograph wouldn't have been possible, his NFT platform. Hope I get to meet you someday. You're the GOAT. Uh, which is, a, which is a tip of the hat to how everyone calls Tom Brady the GOAT. He's like won the most Super Bowls by all time for and ever. Uh, so t the GOAT of Super Bowl, of, of football, um, is calling Vitalik Buterin the GOAT. Hey, uh, real also, also, real. Also a slight shill of his autograph platform. Yeah, but but also real recognized real, you know, like mm -hmm. one goat seeing another. It's uh, it's really cool to see. And I, um, I, I love that uh, the story came together that way. Um, anything else on this, David? Um, no, it was, it was a good story. It was a good story. The last time we saw uh, Vitalik engage with uh, celebrities, it turned into uh, a really funny video of Mila Kunis and Aston Kutcher and Vitalik in the living room. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hopeful something like this happens with Tom Brady. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man, let's move on to uh, some other Ethereum stuff while we're talking about Ethereum. And, you know, we got to just mention EIP 4844. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again because this is the first time we've talked about this Ethereum improvement proposal. That's what an EIP is on Bankless. EIP 4844. Remember the There's, name. Remember remember that number, okay? Because it is like 1559 in that it is going to be of uh, that level of significance, I think, in the future. We don't talk about EIPs very often, but this thing is worth talking about. Now, we're not going to go in detail. It's probably a bunch of future Bankless articles mm -hmm. and probably some shows that we'll put together for you in the future. And the, there's kind of no rush because it's still in the early <laughs> stages of development. So we got a long time on this one. But David, could you sum up what EIP 4844 is going to do uh, yeah. for us? Yeah, it's a new type of uh, data sharding structure, uh, which takes a leaf out of distributed systems like BitTorrent. Uh, uh, it it kind of copies a BitTorrent model. Uh, so on the website, you'll it'll read, uh, EIP 4844 introduces a new kind of transaction type to Ethereum, which accepts blobs of data to be persisted in the beacon node for a short period of time. These changes are forward compatible, not required for EVM execution, and small enough to keep disk use manageable. So it's basically 
allowing uh, allowing Ethereum's data layer to be a little bit more uh, ex expressive uh, and using distributed systems, again, like Bit BitTorrent, uh, we will get better and better at explaining these things as we come to understand them more. But the TLDR is that, this is a, from Proto Lambda out of the Optimism team, data blobs are the first milestone, to milestone towards full Ethereum sharding, enabling rollups like Optimism to grow 100 times in capacity. That's already after uh, rollups like Optimism have 10x in capacity coming from their own innovations. Uh, and so this is, we were just previewing this very, very significant subject uh, for something that's going to have a huge scalability increase, both to the Ethereum L1 and of course, orders of magnitude, more scalability to the Ethereum layer twos. And in particular, this is going to scale out. Remember we've talked about on our modular blockchain show, the three, the three kind of layers of the mm -hmm. stack here, uh, the consensus layer, the data layer and the execution layer and the Ethereum scalability roadmap. The execution layer is, is all rollups basically. Mm -hmm. And the consensus layer is, is the beacon chain. Of course, this is bringing massive scalability to the data layer, which rollups of course need in order to scale. So what we get when this thing is deployed, and it's a much more simplified version than the full data sharding spec. So the hope is it can be deployed a little bit faster than the full data sharding um, you know, spec is rollup fees, as David said, up to a hundred times uh, faster, like a hundred times more space on rollups. So look at your, you, what you pay on Arbitrum or Optimism or any of the ZK rollups you use, right? And it's going to be 99% less in terms of costs. So if you're paying like, you know, one cent now or 10 cents now, you're going to be paying like fractions of a cent in the future for a transaction. So lots of cool stuff to unpack there. And we will unpack it in the future, just not on this particular episode. While we're talking about that though, David, should we talk a little bit about the merge? Because um, mm -hmm. some people yes. uh, yeah. brought to our attention that, like, we, we should maybe... emphasize something. Yes. Okay. Yes. What, so, what should we emphasize? Last, last week we were we went through like the um, the superfizz analysis on like five different points that indicate that the merge is coming in June, and then we talked about how bullish the merge is and emphasized June, emphasized June, emphasized June. Uh, June is possible, uh, but it is not. It's not fact. It's not. It's not canon. Uh, so the merge is coming, perhaps sometime in Q3, sometime between June and August. But it could also come in 2024. It could come in 2025. It could come in 2020, 2030. It, it'll be ready when it's ready. Uh, Bankless is not the oracle for when the merge comes. That's what the developers' jobs for. So apologies if any of the Ethereum developers felt any pressure by the narratives that Bankless likes to to beat the drum for. Um, the merge is is is. Would uh, the merge, if it came in June, that would be fantastic. Uh, people are, are hypo hypothe hypothesizing that it'll be sometime between June and August, but June is not it's actually scheduled. That's just a high, uh, estimation. So I just wanted yes. to say that. And I do think that people um, got a little bit skittish after there was a bug in the Kiln testnet, mm -hmm. right? And they were just like, ah, wow, given that bug, you know, the June date might not happen right mm -hmm. and um so that, that's some of the feedback anyway there's still a chance it happens in june still a chance. of course but it could also be july it could also be august it could also be later it's mm -hmm. ready when it's ready as david said um the best time about... for the merge is when it's time for the merge <laughs> which is the summer i don't even know if that makes sense <laughs> i don't know either but moving on <laughs> this summer uh let's talk about nft stuff mm -hmm. and first we got to talk about a pretty massive phishing scam. 
mm-hmm. not because it's the biggest uh, in dollar amounts, because but because it seemed like it was targeted and very sophisticated. Uh, we've had Arthur Zero X on the show before. He is uh, the the founder of Defiance Capital, which mm-hmm. is a DeFi firm. He just got one point seven million dollars worth of NFTs yoinked yeah. from his uh, Ethereum wallet. David, like, what happened here, and how did it happen? Yeah, so I think somebody uh, spun up like a shared Google Doc and sent it to his email, uh, and it kind of looks like somebody was sharing a Google Doc, but um, uh, when he opened it, that did things. Uh, and I'm noticing that that, that doc is a, a docx file, .ducx, uh, and that is the same file type that Hugh Carp had his, uh, his Nexus Mutual tokens stolen from. Uh, and so be wary about people sending you files, basically, and which makes it really, really hard because um, may- maybe we maybe we could talk to a t- somebody technical about this. I don't know if this like functionality is possible inside of a PDF, uh, but a docx file can have embedded data in it that can uh, swap out your MetaMask to a clone of a MetaMask that looks like MetaMask that does things that it shouldn't do. Uh, and so, you know, even people as sophisticated as Arthur Zero X um, got fished. Uh, and so it can happen to you too. Uh, if you want to have maximum security about how to not have this happen to you, the best way to do this is to work on one computer and sign transactions on a different computer and not to open up files on that second computer and keep that other computer relatively clean. Uh, and that's how you can protect yourself from this. I think that is especially true. The The other thing you should do is uh, go read this uh, article that, that William Peaster put together on Metaversal about, about this hack and how it happened and how you can uh, protect yourself because... I think you were, you were talking about the Hugh Carp hack, who's a DeFi founder. The, mm-hmm. the crazy thing about this is with Arthur as well, is uh, he's pro- likely stalked, likely targeted, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have kind of a, a public reputation in DeFi, I think you should be especially cautious of this type of uh, hack because not only was he targeted, he was likely targeted by a, uh, a known group mm-hmm. in, um, uh, in crypto, the, you know, the Blue Noroff group. It's called, and this, there's some speculation that this might be a group out of uh, North Korea that's oh, wow. actually assembled to go attack some of these individuals in in crypto and kind of like hunt them down, learn their patterns, and actually see where their vulnerabilities were. Because this email that got sent to Arthur was actually somebody from one of his portfolio accounts whom he, he trusted. So, like they had inside knowledge of right. who Arthur might trust and the type of link he might click. Um, Anyway, William concludes this article with a few other uh, resources for you on self-custody operational security tips uh, on, um, you know, how to to guard yourself and how to store Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So go refresh yourself on that if you, uh, especially if you're one of these like public high profile um, people who uh, you know might be uh, might be susceptible to a group like this. Yeah, the, the same strategy was used with Hugh Carp, where he clicked a document that just made sense for him to receive. It came out of like a uh, the Nexus community call, and so somebody was like, "Okay, Hugh Carp, here's this document. It, it's part of the Nexus community call information that we were talking about." So somebody was using rele- relevant information to Hugh Carp, just so that when he received this file, he's like, "Oh, this totally makes sense that I'm receiving this file. I will totally click on this." Yes, this is why we also talk about cold storage so often, and like you know the the ledger uh, keys. Um, that this, didn't this co- that didn't protect Hugh Carp. Hugh, Hugh Carp got rugged from his ledger. 
You're right. Um, it can help with some things, but uh, it doesn't help with this kind of fishing fishing attack. Um, the, the best thing you can do is just make sure you know exactly what you're signing, and sometimes right. that's tricky too. But be vigilant. Plus right. up your OPSEC if you can. Let's keep moving. Uh, Hollywood in our Hollywood section. So Disney just released something called Pixar Pals. Mm-hmm. What are these? Uh, these are both the most simple types of NFTs you'll ever see. They are NFTs of Pixar characters, like Woody from Toy Story, Buzz from Toy Story. They are pictures of characters. You can buy them the NFTs coming out of and TV. It's Disney. And it's Disney. Disney's getting in on NFTs. So is DC, uh, the DC universe, right? The creators of, of Batman, mm-hmm. of course, um, Marvel's um, rival. So mm-hmm. what are they doing in the NFT space? Uh, digital trading cards of their characters from the Marvel universe. You can buy them as NFTs. <laughs> Pretty simple, open and shut. <laughs> they're, they're at the, the very simple stages of mm-hmm. NFTs, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. you got to imagine these are just like tests and prototypes and it's going to get more complicated from here. Um, let's talk about the institutions a little bit, David. So uh, check this out, man. This is Goldman Sachs homepage. Goldman Sachs. Shall I read What's it? What's this say? Yeah, read it. Big word, digitalization front and center with the subtitle, From Cryptocurrencies to the Metaverse, Explore the Metatrends, Megatrends that are reshaping economies. Um, that's it. Just the word dig- digitalization, cryptocurrencies, and metaverse now on the front page of Goldman Sachs. So crypto making the front page of Goldman Sachs as if it's like a pillar of their strategy moving forward. Um, <laughs> but are they going to get it right? This mm-hmm. is uh, this is Ben's take. He's actually from the Bankless team. Why don't you uh, talk about this? Yeah, Ben, Bankless al- uh, analyst, uh, head of the, the GMI index, uh, one of the methodologists, says per F per command F, uh, where you know you find something. Uh, this Goldman Sachs report on the metaverse and Web three does not include a single mention of either blockchain or Ethereum. This is a perfect example of why DeFi natives are going to eat their damn lunch. <laughs> well said, Ben. That's what we love to hear. That's the right take. Chad Ben's the best Ben. Yeah, like if, if you don't know what's up, we're just gonna learn how to eat you. Like this is the the rise of the of the individual against the institution. Like if you don't know what DeFi is and you're not reporting on it, we're just gonna eat your lunch. Yeah, I think we got like at least five years of knowledge on these guys, and they're just kind of getting into the space. And I bet they're gonna not understand it for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but they could if they start like consuming the right content, and actually using these protocols and getting in the space. But I think that's uh it's kind of few. That's mm-hmm. not the many. Mm-hmm. We're gonna go on that path. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they just also as well announced the first OTC crypto trade. Mm-hmm. Of course, we talked about their partnership with uh, Galaxy Digital last week. Apparently, that partnership went forward, and they're actually um, spending money, money yep. mm-hmm. on crypto right now. Yep, um, yeah, that's that. Let's talk about our friend Elizabeth Warren. What's she uh, up to these days? Uh, being cringe. Uh, she reduced or she introduced a new compliance bill for crypto uh, on the wake of the whole sanctions conversation with Russia. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's using the Russian narrative of we need to uh, regulate crypto because you can use crypto to get around sanctions, even though there's absolutely no evidence that that's actually happening. Uh, but in addition to that, the bill goes beyond Russian sanctions. A, an additional uh, provision in the bill would authorize FinCEN, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, to uh, force users to report transactions larger than $10,000 if they send them outside of the United States. So if you're a crypto person, you send $10,000 to somebody else that is outside of the United States, you have to report it. Uh, But that also begs the question, in what jurisdiction is a smart contract if it exists on Ethereum? Like, 
does that smart contract, is that outside of the United States? Like it's on the internet. Is the internet outside of the United States? Not only that, uh, but the, the bill also tries to attempt to regulate publishing code, which is a legal battle that we have already fought before. There's this line that code is speech that came out of the cypherpunks. So basically you are not allowed to put strings of characters together in a way that creates code and then publish that to Ethereum if this bill goes through without it being regulated. Uh, so, Elizabeth, rein it in. Rein it in. Yeah, we're disappointed. Disappointed. David and I are disappointed Very and sad. continually disappointed. Uh, there's absolutely no reason for this. Like, number one, there's there's no evidence of Russians actually, like, re- uh, Russian oligarchs actually using crypto to, mm-hmm. like, you know, launder money or evade sanctions or anything like that. But, um, you know, e- even if that was the case, what they actually want to do is basically put you in a database. They want all of your crypto wallets in a database so they have an ID and they they can match your ETH address, your crypto wallet address to your identity, right? And that that's what would happen if it was any any 10k transaction that I sent from like one place to another, I would have have to actually uh make sure the government IDs my wallet. Uh it's absolutely crazy, absolutely insane. This is um I guess, you know, the surveillance state trying to reach its tentacles into crypto. What I was super disappointed with is actually one of my senators in Virginia, Mark Warner, uh, co-signed this as well. So I sent some, uh, you know, tweets his way as, you know, that said basically this kind of financial surveillance is is garbage and is what's going to make the next generation leave the U.S. That I was sad to see him to support this. So as another reminder, tweet at your Congress representatives, tweet at your senators, tweet at the people uh, who are behind this bill and um, and get your opinion out there because this sort of thing can't be pushed forward. It's, it's unlikely that this will go through, is what I would say, but the fact that- They're even um, trying? Yes, the fact that they're trying and they're, they're couching this in language as if this is being tough on Russia, Russia? when really yeah. it's just being tough on Annoying American citizens- <laughs> No, it's like it's like it's an authoritarian anti-speech provision right. that they're trying to push down our throat using Russia right. as a um, a justification for that and as a reason for doing that. And if you want to get a taste on the um, what's the right descriptor, the dishonest intentions of Elizabeth Warren, there's a, a clip of her asking. Um, somebody who's an expert in crypto about how somebody can use cross-chain bridges uh, to like uh, to launder billions and dollars of, of Russian oligarch money. And the guy attempts to answer the questions like, well, Elizabeth, uh, Senator Warren, uh, you can't really, there's not enough liquidity in, she actually referenced the wormhole bridge between Solana and Ethereum. There's not enough liquidity to support $10 billion going from one chain to another. Uh, like, and, and she's like, I, and she goes, I don't care about the liquidity. Can you obfuscate funds by going from one chain to another? Can you obfuscate funds by breaking it up into small little wallets and using tumblers and mixers to obfuscate do obfuscate transactions. And the, the man attempts to answer is like, uh, Senator Warren, like it's too much money. The liquidity isn't there. And she goes, I don't care, but stop t- asking about the liquidity. Can you do this? And she just refused to listen they to the just, answer. David, they just, okay. So what I feel like is, is nation states and people like politicians like Elizabeth Warren, they feel like because everything's digital that mm-hmm. they should have a license to see it all. This right. is like, imagine if she put forward a bill that said, basically, if you keep any valuables, 
I need to know the physical locations of all your vaults. Mm-hmm. So you have gold bars in your home. You have jewelry. Like you have any gold. Which room? Which room is it in? Which room in your house? The actual location. Mm-hmm. We need an identification system for your physical vaults, mm-hmm. right? If she proposed something like that, that's essentially what she's provo- yeah. proposing here. But yeah. because it's digital, they think they have a right to like inspect right. all of this mm-hmm. and to have everything registered with with the state. And it's absolutely ludicrous to me. And if this kind of thing goes forward in the U.S., um, crypto will be fine over the long run, but the U.S. will get left behind. Right. And that's my big concern here. It's like there's it's like that gif of like this sword coming down and like hitting the thing, and the sword just shatters. <laughs> like that's yes. what's going to happen if you keep on trying to swing the sword at, at crypto. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, let's keep moving. Uh, so FIFA World Cup, Crypto.com being a sp- is a sponsor of this. It's like crypto is, is taking all the, the, the sports it can. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's what's going on? No, that's about it. Yeah. Crypto.com, <laughs> in addition to Crypto.com Arena, is now a FIFA World Cup sponsor for an undisclosed sum. Wow. Crypto's uh, getting everywhere. Uh, guys, we'll be right back with the takes of the week. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. All right, guys, we are back with two David Hoffman takes <laughs> in a row, back to back. My favorite this type. is a great one. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll read this out. This cultural difference between Vitalik and the other co-founders is such a crucial part of this industry. And you were talking about a cultural difference. This is a quote from Laura Shin's book, Cryptopians. Mm -hmm. Should I read this last paragraph? Is this where the good part is? Yeah, yeah, it's that last paragraph for sure. Okay, this is from the book, Cryptopians. As Ethereum's promise became apparent, people jockeyed for positions. Charles, this Charles, is Charles Hoskinson, Hoskinson yep. right from uh, yeah, now Cardano, mm-hmm. uh, who had lobbied to be CEO. Do people know that? He lobbied to be CEO in early Ethereum. Yep. Anyway, he casually asked Gavin, Gavin over Wood. a game of chess to be his chief technology officer, CTO. Gavin, who on Wednesday sent the first Ether transaction from his laptop to Charles, asked Vitalik if that was cool. Vitalik, being less interested in a title or in ordering people around than in conducting research or learning Chinese, said sure and gave himself the title C-3PO. (laughs) (laughs) We got a CTO, Mm -hmm. we got a CEO, and he wants to be C-3PO. So this is going back to the whole like monk like perception of Vitalik. The guy does not care about status. The guy does not care about material things. When everyone else is jockeying for position, Vitalik is just letting it go. In the same way Satoshi let Bitcoin go and go off into the world, Vitalik is like, oh, you're going to be C- CEO? Fine, I'll be C-3PO. And like, <laughs> this, is the, this is the culture of, uh, that's been baked into Ethereum, not, not completely, but more than any other smart contract chain that is really what makes me feel good about being part of Ethereum. This is because- the culture that I align with because if we're going to make a new financial world order, if we're going to make a new money for the whole entire globe, we can't have people like Charles Hoskinson who's jockeying to be a CEO of the new monetary world order. Yeah, yeah. You, you know what? So uh, p- people say uh, Vitalik has too much power in Ethereum. And so first of all, I disagree. But I do agree that, that Vitalik does have some power in Ethereum. But there's a difference because the type of power Vitalik has isn't hard power. It's not top-down authority power. It is soft power. And the fantastic thing about soft power is soft power is earned, right? It's like it's a decentralized form of power because it's only power if people actually like follow him and actually believe what he's saying. It's not something that he can enforce on others. They have to consent. Yeah. They have to opt in Mm -hmm. to that sort of like, 
yeah and just the kind of power um a monk Mm-hmm. would would have or like a religious leader or like right. the dalai lama or something like that and i'm not trying to exalt him into like a religious right. leader but there's an element of that type of leadership of, mm-hmm. of soft power that i think vitalik wields uh very well and that's the sort of of leadership you need in a decentralized mm-hmm. system i've come to realize and it's just this charm in the oh you'll be ceo i'll be c3po it's the the charm <laughs> of that is just what gets people to believe in this man and not only yeah. that but like even after vitalik was a billionaire based on on the eth his eth holdings he was still staying in hostels trying to spend the minimum amount of money just because that's what is downhill for him that's what's natural to him yeah just uh, a good person all around. Mm-hmm. Um, the second David Hoffman take. Second David Hoffman take, out? yeah. Uh, this is about music NFTs. And I was going, I was just kind of like thinking about like, why do JPEG NFTs, why are they so much more viral than music NFTs? And what is a music NFT anyways? And so basically I'm, the difference in my mind between JPEG NFTs and MP3 NFTs is that you can fully experience a JPEG basically instantaneously, like because it's an image, you can receive it all at once. And music NFTs, take time to experience. Like if we're talking about a song, that's like three plus minutes. So like JPEGs can be instantly viral, right? Uh, MP3s take too much time. And I I follow that that up with the next tweet, Ryan, where you can apply the same thought to like profile picture NFTs. Some NFT art is more viral than others. Like CryptoPunks, extremely obvious aesthetic. Same thing with Bored Apes. Also why I'm bullish on MFers, right? Like it's just so obvious what their vibe is. It's easy for these uh, NFTs to live rent-free in your brain kind of like a meme, right? These are memes. It's harder, like songs definitely go viral, but like pictures go viral on, a, on average way more than songs do, just because like of how laborious it is to consume a whole entire song versus how laborious it is to just view an image. Do you also think that like there's an element of, um, there was an existing uh, hole for PFPs to fill in a way there's not for mm. MP3s? And here's, he, yeah. here's what I mean. Like there's, there's like... Um, in all of my social media profiles, there's no place where I can like set my profile song, right? right. Like that was like maybe in the MySpace days, right. people did that. Like and people would the put, it, put it on mute anyways. Right. And people hate that, right? Yeah. But um, for PFPs, mm-hmm. profile pics, I have so many places where I can just like display my image. Right. There's so much surface area in Web2. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's an insight too. It's like in order to do really well, at, at least in the, this phase of the NFT game, Mm-hmm. the thing that will make the nft category popular is does it have surface area mm-hmm. in web 2 does it have like a ready-made hole it could just right. like plop in and fill right i think that might be part of it too and this is not to say that music nfts aren't a thing like they are absolutely right. a thing they, they just, just will fi- be a different thing. it'll be a different thing it'll fill a different niche than like the profile picture nft it's not going to go like music nfts aren't going to like go viral in the same way that that jpeg nfts will yeah but we've got it all figured out guys yeah. that's that's how it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good take. I, I hear a lot of people saying this, that, um, hey, you guys talk about ETH as ultrasound money and deflationary. Like, isn't deflationary bad? Here's a hot take from uh, uh, Kevin uh, uh, Fitcher. I think deflationary systems are kind of whack. And it's frustrating that deflation is becoming core Ethereum meme. Thanks, Bankless guys. You can say that, but. He's on the optimism team, by the way. Okay. Deflation mainly really benefits the people who already have stacks to sit on. 
I thought this was a fantastic, and that's not the take. This is the take. This is the response from Polynaya. Do you want to read this, David? Yeah, Polynaya says, Ethereum is inflationary. Deflation is not a given. It is earned through surplus demand. The current gas price is 14 guay. At this level, there is no deflation. If deflation is earned, it means that the network is undervalued. It's a self-correcting system that minimizes deflation. Okay, so like kind of how like EIP-1559 throttles up or down based on demand, Polynai is saying a similar dynamic is happening. A, a, there's a governor to the system, as in if Ethereum has a ton of utility, if it's very, very useful, then the block space becomes very, very useful and block space becomes a very high in demand and a lot of Ether gets burned. If Ethereum stops becoming useful, then there's less block space demand, therefore less Ether is burned, and Ethereum starts to become inflationary, decreasing the value of Ether, making it easier to transact on Ethereum. But as Ethereum becomes more useful, more Ether is burned, making it deflationary. The whole uh, uh, it's earned concept I think is beautiful, and that's a fantastic take. Ethereum is only deflationary if it is earned by being useful to the world around it. So the answer, if someone asks you, like, isn't a deflationary system like Ethereum bad? The, the answer is Ethereum is inflationary. Mm -hmm. If it's not selling any blocks, it's inflationary. Mm -hmm. But because it's in demand and selling so many blocks, it actually turns out that's deflationary. At some point in time, it's going to hit this nice equilibrium yeah. where those things kind of line up. Right. And then the, the, the whole network and block space and everything is kind of fairly valued. Right. Yeah. And it the will, supply like, of Ether is not going to zero. It's not going to zero, right? right. It's just going down a lot. <laughs> like, well, uh, Justin Drake, so we were talking ultrasound money case, like a mm -hmm. uh, hundred million or so, right? Mm -hmm. Like under a hundred million, right? Like mm -hmm. that's probably the long-term yeah. projection. I bet the, I bet the equilibrium of ETH supply is like somewhere between like 85 and a hundred million over the yeah. very long term, like 50 plus years. I bet too. Yeah. I bet. Uh, let's talk about this. This is an Arthur Hayes piece, probably my favorite written yeah. piece of the week. Uh, do you want to pull out some takes from this? Uh, the, the title of this is Energy Cancelled. Yeah. Energy yeah. Cancelled. What's Arthur Hayes' thesis here? What's he saying? Yeah, so this is part of the, the whole uh, macro conversation that's happening with uh, oil and energy in Russia, but not just that, and all over the world, and also the energy that is basically imbued into currencies and how uh, currencies are basically a store of energy, basically. And when you expend uh, that energy by inflating your currency, well, then you're deleting the last bits of energy that your currency has. Anyways, uh, uh, Arthur Hayes says, the current petrodollar slash euro dollar monetary system ended last week, which is a huge statement, with the confiscation of the Russian central bank's fiat currency reserves by the US and the EU and the removal of certain Russian banks from the SWIFT network. In a generation hence, when this hopefully sad episode of human history concludes, historians will point to 26 February 2022 as the date upon which the system ended and a new, currently unknown to us, system sprouted. Also, shout out to Ray Dalio and the Changing World, world Order. This is the same energy, same vibe. Uh, great take. What do you think about that, Ryan? Yeah, I, I mean, he go, he goes on. I mean, we've been saying that basically too. Is like this kind of could mark the end of U.S. Uh, U.S. dollar monetary supremacy, right? As being mm -hmm. the reserve currency. But you know, he says what's going to happen is um, energy will cost more, food will cost more as a result of of the sanctions, uh, and everyone's going to increase their uh, military spending. Will further crowd out the um, civilian economy. And I I said because of the sanctions. I mean, it's. What, why were the sanctions put in place? Because Putin decided to go invade Ukraine, right? Like ultimately that's, that's like the root cause. That's like the reason why in this case. But um, I do think it's going to cost 
it's going to cost the U.S. This is going to accelerate the paradigm shift that we we're talking about earlier, and that that Ray Dalio you know talks about in his book to a new world order. Uh, Arthur's thesis in this article is basically we'll have to go back to commodity money, like Bretton Woods v three v three basically. So we had Bretton Woods original uh, v two. 1946 US dollar would be the global reserve currency based backed by gold and then we had Bretton Woods V2 which is like um when Nixon got us off the gold standard in the early 1970s and that's been the regime right now Bretton Woods V3 is something new something different nation states will have to kind of go back to commodity backed money and Arthur's thesis is actually the nation state money, just because of its history, will probably be gold. So he actually ends this article being like, I'm bullish on gold, uh, but I'm also super bullish and even more bullish on crypto. And for him, it's specifically Bitcoin, but I would also like lump Ether in that category and say like more bullish on Ether than, than Bitcoin, but those are words in Arthur's mouth. Anyway, commodity money, like uh, death of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency system, that future I think is accelerating. It still could take many years to play out. It's, it's like not a transformation that's going to happen instantly, but this is another step in that direction, and I think has accelerated things: um, the sanctions, the war, like conflict in Ukraine, and the globe's global world response to that. I think one other piece that I maybe want to mention is. He, he, he puts you in the shoes of China, um, and he says, China is probably thinking deep and hard about the value of inside money claims in, in, in its FX reserves now that the G7 just seized Russia's, right? So he's saying, like, well, are nation states going to store up their reserve um, currencies in the dollar with this kind of global distrust? Not after, if the U.S. After can the United, seize them. Yeah, after, after watching the U.S. just rugging in the entire country of Russia, China's like, yeah. well, I don't want to get rugged. For sure. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting uh, decade uh, for sure. And like I think this is just accelerating the regime change. Yeah, Ryan. When when we have our closing statements at the end of the podcast, crypto is risky, DeFi is risky. Staying in the same spot also risky. Also for risky. Sure. You don't want to be caught in the same spot during a yeah. paradigm shift. Yeah. Uh, Donald Glover. He's not getting caught in the same spot. What's nope. his take here? No, Donald Glover gets it. So he says this is a quote about <laughs> NFTs. NFTs are gonna be a thing but not in the way that people think they're gonna be a thing. Like, it'll be way easier to not fake things online, and it's gonna affect a lot of other stuff in a way that people won't understand for like another five years. Oh yeah, remember when we had all that corruption in this section and now it's gone because you basically can't lie about this? That's probably what's gonna happen. Uh, this is a live <laughs> quote out of Donald Glover from South by Southwest. Uh, very rare to see a hot and accurate take from a celebrity. Nice job, Donald. Um, nice job, Donald. We love it. We love it. Yes. I think this this man's brilliant. I think he's a genius. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm not super surprised that he gets NFTs, but well articulated. Um, last last take of the week. Another NFT take. David, mm -hmm. what's uh, this one from Jimmy.eth? Yeah, Jim, Jimmy, J1MMY, Jimmy.eth. He was recently on the Overpriced JPEGs podcast talking about a very similar subject. He goes, 
in the future, most NFTs will be all data and no media. Uh, and I think we will look back on the current state of NFTs with embedded photos uh, that aren't actually embedded uh, as like analog S NFTs, skeuomorphic? skeuomorphic NFTs. And so yeah. this is a little bit like the loot NFT vibe, where instead of having like this point to a picture, instead, all of the value of the NFT will be embedded inside of it. And we're actually starting to see this. Uh, I, I, while listening, listening to this podcast, I learned that the uh, Cypher Brokers NFT project, they have a bunch of SVG files, like all the properties of a, of a profile picture NFT, like the, the blue shirt, sun, 3D sunglasses, beanie caps, uh, you know, like cypherpunk hair or whatever. All of these properties for the cypherpunks NFTs are SVG files that are embedded into the Ethereum, into Ethereum on chain. And then what the, pro what the project does is that it just takes all the different permutations and it layers on all the SVG files. And so every single thing about the NFT is on chain. And so completely trustless, completely decentralized, completely cypherpunk, super bullish on that whole entire concept. Uh, and so the idea that like we are going to point outwards for the data that our NFTs represents is short term, short term. Yeah, that's a really good take. And for people who aren't following what an SVG file is, right? So that's, that's basically like, um, it's a different type of image format, mm -hmm. but it can be all distilled to a bunch of numbers, a bunch of data, basically. And that's different from like bitmap style images of which, you know, a GIF is one and a JPEG is one, mm -hmm. which can't really be distilled into like, mm -hmm. into like data and can't be embedded on a chain. So with like JPEG NFTs, which have been this current era, this current generation of NFTs, all you can really do on a, on, on chain, except in cases like, like CryptoPunks where the image is like really small enough and able mm -hmm. to be uh, fully embedded on chain is like, you're generally putting a pointer out to an external bitmap image somewhere right mm -hmm. with sgv svgs you can just put all of the data on chain and then wow the metaverse could fully manifest this particular object or mm -hmm. image in any way it chooses to do so because all of the data behind that image is on chain so that's part of it i don't think jimmy's saying like there's going to be no graphics on chain and it's all going to be like data but it'll be more like vector style mm -hmm. images uh, rather than maybe like bitmap style JPEGs and, and GIFs. When we did our uh, defining the metaverse episode, Ryan, the, the line, the metaverse is rendered at the periphery perfectly aligns with this. Like That's cool. data at the center, compressed, highly dense data at the center. And then it's, it's rendered locally on your computers because they're just given instructions on how to render it. So when, we, when Jimmy says the future of entities will be all data, the data is instructions on how to render the metaverse in, in your local computer, wherever you are in the world. Wait, wait, who said that? The metaverse is rendered at the periphery. Did we say that? That's my line, yeah. That's a great that's, line. That's a David Hoffman original, brother. Wow. Yeah, you like that's that one? That's great. Yeah. No, I, I love that one. Uh -huh. That's, uh, man, yeah, we should start a podcast there. <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited about this week, man? Oh, my God, Ryan. Okay, so I made this meme uh, earlier this morning about, like, all right, what, what narrative am I trying to promote on Twitter? Uh, do I want L222 or do I want the merge? And so it's the, uh, the, the meme is the guy, like, sweating his face, like, doesn't know which button to press. Like, which, what do I shill, L222 or do I shill the merge? Uh, because like the thing is, I think they're both happening around the same time. Uh, I think L222 and the merge is going to happen towards end of Q2, start of Q3, mutual climax time. I think that's <laughs> I think that's what's about to happen. Ryan. Wow, very exciting year. Uh, right. Of like course, somebody would be excited about that. A new article by David Hoffman, the, <laughs> the mutual, mutual climax, the mutual climax thesis. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> wow, this is the uh, the type of content people subscribe to yeah, Bankless exactly for. Right. That's exactly right. Oh, Ryan, man. what are you excited about? <laughs> I don't think I can top that. Um, <laughs> mine was going to be the institutions are 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 here. <laughs> they're not just coming, but they're here. Uh, and that's also an unfortunate turn of phrase. Yes, but anyway, yes, the is. institutions are here is the bottom line. So there was this phrase repeated over and over again in, in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, the institutions are coming. The institutions are coming. Like, uh, like there won't be a bear market was right. kind of the implication because like big copium institutions would buy our bags. Yeah. And that really never happened. Nope. Uh, the institutions were nowhere in 2018, 2019. Yeah. Goldman Sachs was not talking about digitization on their homepage. Uh, they were not buying uh, DeFi. No one believed in it. Ethereum was dead. Bitcoin was just hanging by a thread. But now they're here, okay? Mm-hmm. Like this week, digitization on the Goldman Sachs homepage. They just announced their first uh, trade. We talked about that earlier. Bridgewater, Ray Dalio, massive fund. Not only like in terms of uh, assets under managed, but, but in terms of like institutional respect, right? This guy's like a global leader. They're doing crypto now. Uh, Qualcomm, even. If they're a metaverse fund, right? right? The institutions are here. They're not coming anywhere. They're here. And that is like, I, you know, that is a, a shift. I don't know when it happened. It feels like um, I'd kind of thought in the, in, in the days of, uh, you know, 2019, 2019, when I somewhat thought that that meme could be true, uh, that there would be like a, a big announcement and somebody would be like, yep, we're here now, guys. Well, mm. it's actually just happened without people knowing about like uh, about it and it's like happening on a on a week by week basis. Um, but they are quite obviously here. And what I think that means, David, is uh, like we kind of won. Yeah. Right? I, you know, I'm crypto is not going anywhere at this mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. The world's biggest institutions are behind it. That means right. nation states will eventually fall in line because of lobbying. Um, yep. And it's it'll be a slow trickle at times. Sometimes it'll feel like a, a, a stampede, but the institutions are already here. And I feel like I've just realized that maybe in the last uh, last week or two. Totally. It's not as cool as yours, okay? But it's 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 what I had. <laughs> hey, the institutions are here for the for the mutual climax. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, we, that's wow, the dirtiest that. we are ever gonna get. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, meme of the week, guys. Um, what are we looking at here, David? Yeah, this is a uh, sorry for the podcast listeners. This one's not going to translate very well, but we're going to watch a short video of uh, two high schoolers in a lunchroom having a breakdance competition. So, so we have a guy who's decently good at breakdancing. Yeah, I'll give him a soft five out of ten. Uh, going up against like a, a kind of a white, skinny, nerdy kid who doesn't you wouldn't expect to be good at breakdancing, but he absolutely kills it. And then the caption is: Three months later, he created Ethereum. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh... Yeah, look, I I just feel the vibes of this video. I don't uh-huh. know exactly why I like it, but right. um, there's something about it, right? Um, mm-hmm. Vitalik Buterin, surprising everyone. Mm-hmm. That's what that means about, too. More or less, All right, guys, yeah. I think that's it. Uh, mm-hmm. None of this has been financial advice. It never is. ETH is risky. So is DeFi. So is Bitcoin. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot.